The big question is, how does someone with MS actually improve their mobility, strength, energy, independence, the list goes on. My name is Dr. Gretchen Hawley, physical therapist and multiple sclerosis specialist. Welcome to the Missing Link Podcast. Tune in as I share the top strategies and exercises to help you gain control over your life with MS using research-driven insights and advice from top industry experts. Whether you're newly diagnosed or have had MS for over 30 years, whether you have relapsing MS or progressive MS, this podcast is for you. You're sure to feel empowered and inspired after each episode. Ready? Let's dive in. Welcome back to today's show. I am so excited to share this conversation with you guys today. I talked to Dr. Rosalind Kelb, and she is a clinical psychologist who has worked in the MS field for over 40 years, first at one of the earliest MS comprehensive care centers, and then for 16 years at the National MS Society. Dr. Kelb is now a senior programs consultant for Can Do Multiple Sclerosis, with a special focus on cognitive and emotional wellness for people with MS and the unique needs of MS support partners. I've personally worked alongside Dr. Kelb at some of the Can Do MS programs, and she has such a unique way of helping people feel empowered and in control of their MS. So today we're gonna be talking about all things mobility aids with a special focus on mindset, and perspective. She gives some really, really awesome tips on how to ease into using a mobility aid and also how to get your family members on board. Dr. Kalb, thank you so much for being here with us today. It's my pleasure. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Yeah. So I honestly feel like I could ask you a million questions about a bunch of different things, but for today, we're going to be focusing on mobility aids and what that does to us mentally, how we tend to resist it. But before we get into all that serious talk, I want to ask you a question from my interview deck, just to have our listeners get to know you a little bit better. So I'm shuffling over here. Okay. Your question is... What's the first impression you want to give people? That I'm really listening to them. I love that. that that's perfect for a conversation today, actually. <laughs> so before we get into the nitty gritty details, can you share with us just a little bit of your background and why you got into this field of work? And a lot of my listeners might not know you yet until right now, but you are so amazing at what you do and you do make people feel like you're listening and you're truly there to help. So where did all of this start for you? Uh, well, it started that I wanted to be a therapist from a very young age because I was sent to one because I was an anxious stutterer when I was little and that's what I wanted to be. And then, um, after graduate school, I um, started to look for a job, a part-time job, because I had a young toddler, but I was ready to tiptoe back into the workforce. And I knew from my training that I was fascinated by the power of group work, support group, coaching group, discussion groups. They're just incredibly powerful. So I started to look for a job where I would be able to use my psychotherapy skills in that way. 
And I was guided by the head of my graduate department to a, a friend of mine who had just taken a job as the director of research at the first comprehensive MS center, um, wow. which was in New York City. And I, I didn't know anything about MS, but they were looking for somebody to do groups in the different boroughs of New York. And I got hooked. Uh, this was 1979. And uh, I really fell in love with the group work with people with MS. Um, and that's what I've done since 1979. But I added individual work and family work. It's all about MS and finding the way to live with it. Yeah, and are you currently only working with people with MS or do you still do some individual work? Right now, um, after many years at the National MS Society, I'm now uh, not doing any private practice work or work for the society. Now, all of my work is as a senior programs coordinator with Can Do Multiple Sclerosis. So I get to do a lot of group workshops and coaching and support yeah. groups. Really, really fun. What a perfect job for someone who loves that group atmosphere. And for those of you who don't know what can do MS is, we're definitely going to talk about it at the end because I think everyone should know about it. So what I want to talk about today is something that I come across a lot with my clients, as well as just people who follow me online on social media, and that is mobility aids. You know, some people who don't use a mobility aid but should or want to or don't want to. Others who are currently using a mobility aid, but they don't want to use one because they fear it means their disease is progressing. There's so many thoughts around mobility aids. So can you share um, what your thoughts are on that and how do you approach that? So we have to start by meeting people where they are, whatever their feelings are about their ability level or disability level and how uh, how mobility aids might uh, be a, uh, helpful or might provide assistance to them. But at Can Do MS, uh, the philosophy is that mobility is the answer to disability. And I think that's the framework for my thinking about this, that my experience with people with MS, if, if and when their disability increases, they find that their world is shrinking. It's getting smaller. They're not going as many places. They're not seeing as many people. Sometimes they're even confined to one floor of their house. So the world around them is shrinking. And I see all kinds of assistive technology, not just mobility aids, but everything that falls under assistive technology, the tools that we use to make life simpler, all of those things help people to keep doing the things they love doing which means that the world can gradually expand again. So they may have stopped traveling, they may have stopped socializing, they may have stopped going to the mall or the grocery store or to a museum or anything because they are scared of falling or they don't have the energy or they can't do it. And suddenly using a mobility aid allows them to re-engage with stuff they love and do things with their family members but you're right, Gretchen, the feelings around it are huge. So for some people it's, I don't wanna look old. I don't wanna look disabled. I'm afraid I won't look attractive. I feel like it means I'm giving into my MS. And so 
it's working with those feelings because those feelings matter, right? But the place where I start is by thinking about using tools, not as giving in or giving up or letting MS take control, but as taking charge of a chronic illness. If I take charge of this and I use every tool that's available to me, I can do what matters. I like that. And that definitely has a, a feeling of control. Like you're taking the control <laughs> instead of giving MS the control. Yeah. How, how do you normally approach this topic with your clients? Is this something that you normally suggest to them or do they bring it up? How does that conversation go? Well, I learned a lesson by making a significant mistake very early in my career when a woman struggled to get into my private practice office. It was exhausting just to watch how hard she had to work to get there. She was using two Canadian crutches, forearm crutches. And so I brought it up and that was not what she was there to talk to me about. And the result of my being a bull in a china shop was that she never came back to see me and I felt terrible. I felt like I had missed my opportunity to be of assistance with whatever she wanted assistance with, not what I thought she needed. So now I wait. And I look for clues like, I, I'm not able to do as much as I used to. Uh, my, my world is getting smaller. I'm so afraid of falling all the time, or I'm so exhausted. Any of those might trigger me to ask a few more questions, ask what has changed, ask what activities they're not doing anymore that they used to do which allows me to ask whether they've ever considered using something to assist them. And then, yes, but I don't like the idea of it and giving in, or yes, but I don't want to look old. Then we can talk about this feeling. And sometimes it's only um, trying it once. I said, you don't have to buy one. You can just rent one and try it for an hour. So another story that I learned a lot from, when my father was getting quite old, he was in his 90s, but he had spinal stenosis and was gradually struggling more and more to walk. And I, of course, suggested a walker because I'm a daughter who works with people who have disabilities. My mother, my mother wouldn't let him. My mother didn't want to see him using a scooter and she kept saying what we hear all the time, well, you don't need that yet. You can still walk. Meanwhile, my father was getting exhausted. My mom was very sick and she um, died uh, shortly after that. And during that week of turmoil, after her death, when all the kids were there, we were gathered. We suggested to my father that just for that week, he rent a scooter mm. because he had so many things he needed to do, the memorial service and the this and the that. So he rented a scooter and he loved it. He loved it. He never gave it back. You know, he purchased it and he used it and he saved his energy and he was able to keep doing all the things he wanted to do, but he needed my mother not to mind. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, the people around us, especially the people that you live with, play a role as well. 
you know, yeah. even though it's not your outlook, their outlook does impact you. Right. So in this specific situation, did your father go from not using a scooter at all to using it full time? Or how did that work for him? Did he only use it when he had somewhere far to go? Yeah, he, he parked it out and his condition changed. So over time, he used it more and more. He couldn't do anything without it eventually. But when he first got it, he parked it outside the door of his apartment and he used it when he needed to go a distance. He didn't use it to walk around in the apartment until actually shortly before he died. Mm. So it was a it was a transition, but it was a relief to him. Yeah, I think you brought up something really important about um, it's always uh, a question that involves other family members as well. And so one of the other things I do when I'm talking. Um, is to convey that the tool is for the whole family. It might help you, the person with MS, to do something you want to do or do something with your family that you couldn't do before. But if you think of it as a tool for the family, it means that your family members get to do more with you. They don't always have to be hyper-focused on your safety and whether you're going to fall down. They don't always have to be the arm that you lean on, um, they can just enjoy your company. Um, and they can enjoy having you at their sports practices when they're kids, and they can enjoy that you're back being active. So I often present it that way. I also do a lot of work with support partners in my role at, at Can Do MS. And sometimes I bring it up with the support partners to help them have conversations with their loved one with MS that says, you know, if we got a scooter, then you and I could do more together. And you wouldn't have to stay it in it all the time, but we could, you know, we could maybe do some traveling or, or go to the museum or go on long walks together because we haven't been able to do that. And I miss doing things with you. And that empowers the support partner to make it a family thing and then the person with the mess can think about that and decide not just for him or herself but for the whole family does this make sense I love that and I feel like that could go either way depending on who's more on board at first because in some cases maybe it's a person with MS in other cases maybe it's a support partner but that's such a great way to have that conversation so that it includes everyone wow I also like that you keep using the word that it's a tool. And I really like that because so many people view any type of mobility aid or assistive device, assistive technology as more of a hindrance. Like it's something that I now have to do. But if you think of it as a tool, it sounds, it's a more empowering way to look at it. It's something that can help you do other things. I think it can do MS. We're always talking about your tool chest. And it's not just around mobility, although that is one area, but you use tools to help with your memory and thinking if you have a problem in that area. You use tools when you're uh, working in the kitchen because you want to be able to cook things that you like and you need to simplify that task and make it easier and less fatiguing to do. And all of us use tools like computers and 
smartphones in our lives. So thinking about it as a tool takes some of the sting out of it, I think, and makes, again, a person feel like they're taking control of the situation. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's what I feel when I just hear you explain it in that way. Mm-hmm. I also was thinking too, you mentioned just trying it out. Like you don't have to buy one, but just try it out. Even stores like CVS and Walgreens, Target, they have canes there. You know, you could just take one off the shelf, walk around in the store. You don't even have to buy it. Yeah. See how it feels. <laughs> no, no, I, I agree with that. I think the only the only caveat is that really good tools need to be the right tools for you, right? So sometimes somebody might pick up a cane or crutches and they're uncomfortable or they don't fit right because they're not the right tool or the right size. And so anybody who is seriously thinking about trying something, I think should give it a fair trial. And that means going to somebody like you, Gretchen, um, and saying, I'm here are the activities I'm really interested in. And can you help me figure out what might be the most helpful tools? And, and can you teach me how to use it the right way? Like if it's a cane, for example, what side do I use it on? If it's a walker, do I want one that has wheels and brakes? Or do I want a more traditional one because it serves a different purpose? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, set yourself up for success by getting the advice you need to use the tool correctly and use the one that's best for the job. Yeah, I agree. And even just something as simple as the height of the walker or the cane mm-hmm. that can make or break it. If it's too high or too low, it's going to be uncomfortable and then you're not going to want to use it. And you'll think it's the cane or whatever aid you're using, it's that that you don't like when really it just wasn't fitted properly to you. I think the other time I, I learned something in my practice or, or failed to learn something in my practice was a young woman I worked with for many years. She had progressive MS and using the mobility aid was just so, in her mind, such a stigma that she resisted and resisted and resisted. And I, I, I tried every, every which way, um, but she was always a year or two behind where she really optimally would be. So she didn't start using a cane until she was really falling a lot and couldn't go anywhere unless her husband was holding her up. And also I happened to see a beautifully carved cane at some craft festival. Um, hand carved out of wood with a beautiful thing on the top. And I said, have you ever thought about a decorated, beautiful wooden cane? So she started looking and that convinced her to try. But by that time, she wasn't really safe using just Mm -hmm. a cane. So it went all the way up until um, the point at which she really couldn't be out independently or walk alone, but she wanted a red sports car. She had always wanted a red sports car and she bought one and was able to drive it twice, twice. So I I think these emotional barriers really do impact people's activities, their daily lives, their relationships in ways that we need to find a better way to convey 
um, so that more people are willing to try to experiment, like you were saying. Do you have any tips for someone, you know, I'm just going to use my dad as an example. He does not have MS. However, if he ever does need an assistive device in the future, just for balance purposes or whatnot, I can almost guarantee you he's not going to want to use one. For people who are just like really adamant that I don't want to look old or that's for older people or, you know, all, all the stigmatized things that we say, how do you work with someone like that when, when it's for their safety that they should use a mobility aid? I think when safety is compromised, we as healthcare professionals need to be pretty proactive. So we still need to meet people where they are. We need to acknowledge how they feel about it, but we also need to ask them to think about the impact of just one bad fall, just one really bad fall. So for a person with MS, not your dad, but for a person with MS, sometimes a really bad fall would mean lots of weeks or even months of immobility, which then does contribute to more disability. And it becomes much harder to come back and recoup what you lose in terms of your mobility during that period of having to lie down. So sometimes it's, it's really trying to talk about the potential consequences of their decision-making We still can't control the decision we make, but we can ask them to consider the what ifs. Also, if there is a spouse present, that's a really good time to bring the spouse in because the spouse might say, you know, I'm starting to have problems with my neck and my arm because you're holding on me all the time. That's tiring for me because I'm getting older too, or I'm whatever. So we want to do have you be as independent as you can, because that that's also healthier for me. So yeah, these are two strategies and tips. I like that. Cause I mean, that does bring in some level of fear of thinking, okay, well, what could happen? Like, instead of thinking about the way you look, thinking about the results of if you do fall, how often would you say you have to have these conversations with the same person in order for them to eventually believe you and feel like, okay, sure, I'll go try it. You know, because I, I doubt it's just one time. Like, are you having these conversations no, multiple times? It's not just one time. And I need to shift the perspective. So sometimes one kind of message doesn't work, but another might. So the person who says to me, I don't want to look disabled. I don't want people to feel sorry for me. Sometimes using a mobility aid actually makes a person look much healthier, more stable, more in control, more independent. Uh, When the onlooker is is watching you walk and worried that they might have to grab you because you're going to fall, they get a very different impression of you than if they see you sitting up tall in a scooter, scooting yourself around, taking charge of your life. That doesn't look disabled. Yeah, you're right. That looks mobility abled and independent and safe. So I try these different approaches because something is going to resonate. I like that. So this kind of brings me to another question I wanted to ask you about, which is 
How many mobility aids do you typically suggest? Is it just one? Is it a bunch of different ones? And also, how do people get these? We talked about, you know, going to a physical therapist, making sure it fits you, but is that your first step or what should, if someone's listening right now thinking, okay, Roz has convinced me, I'm going to try this out. Where do they go from here? Personally, when I get to the point where I need a mobility aid myself, I'm going to a physical therapist because I want to make sure I'm getting the optimal tool for me. Not everybody has access to that, but I would at least consult with somebody in your healthcare team. Um, it can be at Can Do MS as well. We can help guide people. There's a wonderful booklet from the National MS Society that's free to download that it's titled Choosing the Mobility Aid That's Right for Me. And it just describes how you might use different types of aids for, in different situations and at different ability levels. But I also learned something from another patient I worked with. We were at his house to interview him about a, a study we were doing of kids who have a parent with MS. And he and his wife had a, a blended family of four teenagers, bless their hearts. And he became the stay-at-home parent. And she was uh, working full-time. <clears throat> so when we went to his house and we talked to him about his activities as a, a dad in this busy, busy household, we said, how do, you, how do you do it? And he took it, us out to his car and he opened his trunk. He said, this is my tool chest. So I get up in the morning and I do my MS body check, you know, like, how am I doing? What's moving today? What's not moving? How do I feel? What's on my calendar? What do I have to do today? And then he would pick the tool that fit how he felt that day and what he needed to accomplish. So he had folding portable wheelchair, he had forearm crutches, he had a cane. Um, so I don't advise anybody to go out and buy seven things because as we just said, it's hard to get over the emotional hump of starting. But I think you, you talk to a physical therapist about where to start. And then as you want to expand your world and try out different activities, you say, well, for that activity, a fold-up portable chair for my car might actually be a great idea. Or I just need, for some of these activities, I need support on both sides. So I'm going to have some forearm crutches. But for just around the house, my cane is fine. I'm safe in the house. So you build a tool chest based on your personal goals, your, the world you live in, the space you live in. And what you want to do. I love that. And that reminds me, I remember a few times one way that I was able to get some of my clients to be more accepting of using a cane, they, they initially were not using any mobility aid, is the foldable, the collapsible canes, which you know, those aren't as sturdy as some of these other ones, but it, it can be a great way to transition where yes. you might not always need it. And when you don't need it, you don't even have to hold on to it. You can put it in your bag, but when you do need it, it's there. Well, that, and also having canes, you can decorate. I mean, yes. everybody takes the first step in a different way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, whatever's the entree point that makes it possible for people to take that first step. Awesome. So before we end our episode today, can you share just a little bit about what is can do MS for people who don't know? I mean, there's so much that you could say, but what is it and how can people get involved? 
Uh, happy to. Uh, Can Do MS is a wellness education program. It's for people with MS, but it's it's an adjunct to the medical care and disease management that you get from your own healthcare team. Uh, but it's to help you think about how, as a person living with MS or a support partner of someone with MS, how you can uh, enhance your own quality of life, your wellness, well-being, and it's in areas of um, your emotional well-being, your cognitive or intellectual well-being, your relationships um, and communication, as well as things like diet, exercise, getting your preventive health care. So we try to in help people make decisions that work for them, set goals that work for them in each area of wellness as an add-on to the care that they're already taking of their MS. So you can participate in can do in a variety of ways, as simple as going onto the website uh, www.candu-ms.org and look for Ask the Can Do Team and type in a question and get an answer from the right member of the healthcare team. Or you can participate in four-part coaching series where you have small group discussions with other people with MS around topics. Like right now we're doing workshop on diet nutrition, but we have workshops coming up on communication and cognition. Or you can be part of a multi-day program where we have two and three-day programs, which eventually will be in person again. Right now, we've had to pivot and make everything virtual, which is great for some people. And they say, oh, I'm so glad it's virtual because I can, I can come. But you can join us any number of ways. And there are also monthly webinars. So each month is a theme. And then the work within that month is all around that central theme. Yeah, that's that's a great way of explaining. And I will say um, from the people that I have talked to who have participated in some of the Can Do MS events, the thing that they love most about it is that they get their questions answered by healthcare professionals. You know, there's psychologists, uh, neurologists, PT, OT, speech, like it's where else can you get all those people in one room and to chime in on the things that you're going through. So, And I think it characterizes everything we do. I'm glad you said that. I think what's unique about us is no matter what program we're doing, it is multidisciplinary. So you will always have your questions answered or your discussions facilitated by more than one discipline. For example, a psychologist, a nurse, and a physical therapist, or a neurologist, an occupational therapist and a speech language pathologist, because we know that it takes a team to address symptoms of MS. So we present and we teach and we facilitate conversations from that team perspective. Yes, I think that's so great because most people see their team maybe once a year. So this is just such an amazing opportunity. So thank you for sharing that. Is there any last things that you wanted to share with our listeners today? One more that I thought of, and that is sometimes you may be ahead of the curve in that you know that a mobility aid is something that you really want. But your healthcare team isn't jumping on board. So one of my favorite examples was a guy who went into his neurologist and he said, I'd like you to prescribe a scooter for me because my wife and I really want to take a trip to Europe 
And I know that we will both enjoy it more if I have a scooter that I take with me on the trip and then use as I need it. And the neurologist said, oh, I don't, I don't want you to do that. I, I, you can still walk. I want you to do the walking. It's really good for me. And the patient was kind of disappointed, <laughs> as was his wife. But the patient called up the nurse, the MS nurse in this office and said, I need your help. My wife and I really want to get a scooter because we want to go to Europe. And she and, and Dr. So-and-so is saying no. And she said, I'll take care of it. I'll tell him he's making a mistake that you obviously need a scooter to enjoy your trip to Europe and I'll make sure he writes a script for it. So sometimes you have to get other members of the healthcare team on board so that you can get the tool that works best for you. Yeah. And, you know, not settling for no too, you know, really standing up for yourself. And there's so many team members that you could go to, you know, if, right. for, if for some reason the nurse didn't work out, you could pick a different one. Awesome. Awesome. Self-advocacy. I agree. Yeah. Great. Awesome. Well, Dr. Kell, thank you so much again for being here with us today and sharing all of your tips. I know this is a really emotional topic for a lot of people, and I think you have helped us feel empowered and in control instead of fearful and dreading this. So thank you for all your insights. Good. Then mission accomplished. Thank you. It was a lot of fun. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to today's show. I am so grateful to have you as a listener. If you'd like extra resources, such as a video of one of my seated exercise classes, my favorite core exercises, and the opportunity to ask me your questions, head to missinglink.com forward slash insider. That link will be shared in the show notes along with links to my social media handles. If you love this episode and think a friend or family member with MS would benefit from listening, please go ahead and text or email this podcast to them right now. Sharing this podcast will help me educate and empower as many MS warriors as possible. Thanks again for joining and be sure to tune in next week for another episode of the Missing Link Podcast.